Speaking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 24 and reading for our text verse 25. Sorry, verse 29. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 24 and verse 29. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Luke chapter 24 and verse 29. In this verse we read of they and him. They constrained him. Constrained means to bring about by compulsion or force with words and in this case and in many other cases in the word it is a kindly, a friendly persuasion, constraining so that instead of our Lord going further he turned in and he abode with them. Very often in the Word of God we read it the other way round. We read it like the Lord constraining his disciples to get into a ship. And so it is the Lord persuading them uh, to do something. Then we read the Apostles saying, The love of Christ constraineth us. And very often with us we need that constraining, we need that drawing, we need that, you might say, extra push to be obedient or to do what the Lord would have us to do. But here it is the other way round. It is the disciples, it is the Lord's people constraining the Lord to do something. Now may we be very clear that we will never, no one will ever make the Lord do what he does not want to do, that he has not determined to do, appointed to do. But really in all prayer there is a constraining aspect to it. And the Lord has ordained, I will for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them and it is asking the Lord to do something and if we believe that prayer is the key that he will not do it unless there is prayer unless there is an asking that he is appointed that way and I believe in this case as well we have the Lord knowing exactly what he intended to do and that's why we read, he made as though he would have gone further, but really he knew where he would be going. And uh, though they constrained him, you might say he had, by what had gone on before, constrained them to ask and to press on him to abide with them. This chapter is a very important, very vital passage of the Word of God in setting forth the resurrection 
of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. It sets forth the fact of it and then the abundant proofs that are given us in this chapter of the Lord's appearances to his disciples and the evidence that he truly had risen, he ate, he drank before them. The Spirit had not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And uh, this chapter then is so vital. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. If the Lord had not risen from the dead, there is no assurance unto all men uh, in that God has raised him from the dead, that the sacrifice was accepted, that sin was put away, his people were redeemed, that was accomplished, that was determined and promised right back in the Garden of Eden. And so we would always look upon such a passage as this as so vital, so necessary to us and to be able to come and be able to say in verse 34, the Lord is risen indeed. He really and truly has. We worship the living, the true God, uh, he that was dead, who laid down his life to take it again, who suffered in the place of his people, who redeemed them from sin and death and hell. Well, I want then to look at the word before us and might be a real encouragement to us, especially when we've tasted a little of the blessings of the Lord to actually desire more. And so I want to look firstly at a reason to want the Lord to abide with us. He had been with them for this seven and a half mile journey and spoken to them by the way and now they come to the end of it and they're wanting him to abide. What has happened by the way and what is the reason why we also may want the Lord to abide with us? Secondly, effectual constraining words. There's not many of them really in this verse, but they worked, they were effectual. They said, abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. Not many words, but how effectual. He went in to tarry with them. May we also have effectual constraining words that we bring before the Lord. And then the last point is the greater blessing uh, as the Lord tarries with us. You imagine if they hadn't constrained him, if they'd allowed him to continue on, then when we come to verse 35, we'd only have half of the verse. Verse 35 reads, they told what things were done in the way. And that's where that verse would end. 
except for the constraining, the tarrying, and what was done when he tarried. But the verse continues, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. In the tarrying, there was an additional blessing, and may that also be an encouragement and a lesson to us. But firstly, a reason to want the Lord to abide with us. And for that, we must think of what had gone on before and how the Lord first met with them. And we say right at the beginning that they did not know the Lord. Their eyes were holden, so they did not know him. And many of the Lord's dear people, like Samuel, who did not yet know the Lord, when the Lord first speaks to them, they do not know it is the Lord. But like the two here on the way to Emmaus, they realised by the words that he spake, by the power that attended, the effect upon them, that this was no ordinary person. Even when the Lord in his ministry, those that heard him, they said that he spoke with authority and not as the scribes, those that were sent to take him, and they came back without him. They said, uh, why have ye not brought him? They said, never man spake as this man. There was something different, something remarkable in how the Lord actually spoke and dealt with the situation. And we would expect that. We think of when he was 12 years of age, speaking in the midst of the doctors and lawyers, both hearing them and asking them questions. And they marvelled then, they marvelled later, whence has this man knowledge, having never learned. And uh, it, it was coming out uh, who he was, the true living eternal God made manifest in the flesh. And so this account then begins with these two walking to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem, very sad, very despondent, and speaking one to another. It is a situation that often is mirrored in our lives. Husbands and wives, how many times we speak one to another, how many times we go over events, how many times we are sad as we go over events? How many times we may say we trusted it would have been like this or like that, but it wasn't and things haven't turned out as we thought that they would. The, the very description, the whole setting here, though in actual fact will, can never be replicated again, the Lord never on the earth like this again, coming in the power in the clouds with power and great glory, yes, but not in this situation. There won't be two of us walking and the Lord coming and drawing near to us, not in that way, but through his word, through the ministry, in prayer, then we will know the Lord's visits and the Lord coming to us. The Lord says, that I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you, and though I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, and we have in the Acts of the Apostles and in the 
epistles to the churches, the evidence of the Lord's blessing uh, upon his people, and especially through the preaching of the word. And we would remember that what the Lord did as he comes to these two, he drew out from them what their sorrows were, uh, and then he chided them, reproved them, and then preached to them, opened up in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It must have been a very remarkable sermon. Most of us can perhaps walk at a pace of about uh, three and a half or three miles an hour. So that would have been a two and a half hour long sermon, depending on what stage or what point that the Lord met with them. Uh, and uh, it, it shows also the strong effect when he did reveal himself that even though it was toward evening, yet they still went back that two-hour journey and a bit journey. Uh, they, they didn't stay where they were. Uh, but this was then a time that the Lord was pleased to speak to them through his word through the Old Testament scriptures and in such a way that it made their heart burn within them. Now we may ask ourselves, do we know what it is to have times under the preaching of the word that our heart burns within us? The, the word comes right where we are. We're told the word came to the Thessalonians, not in word only, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, there, there is an effect. Uh, the word is received. And it is a different hearing time than other hearing times. It is a remarkable time, a time that we want to continue. We want to not stop, but keep going. And so this is what precedes this time when they come to the end of the journey. I wonder how many of us have had a time when we sat under a sermon and the minister has suddenly said his amen has caught us off guard and we thought, what, finished already? We, we thought, you're only starting, we want to hear more. And there's been that said that has so drawn us and we felt drawn to the word and the word has come where we are. And so, in this account, you might say we read of the effect of a sermon, a sermon preached by the Lord, a sermon with power, a sermon that even must have been humbling to those that heard it as they were reproved, as they were called fools and slow of heart to believe. And yet, it had such an effect that they wanted this speaker, this stranger, this preacher to abide with them. May we know those times that through the preaching of the word, through the Lord's blessing on our reading of the word, that we have that same desire we don't want to move from that situation. We don't want to 
cause it to go away. We think of in the Song of Solomon, when this spouse was so blessed and so favoured, she charged the daughters of Jerusalem that they do not stir up her love, her beloved, and cause him to leave. There's a desiring that the spirit is not grieved, that there might not be a removing from that situation and that blessing. And so it is the things that have gone on before that brings about the uh, gathering, uh, desiring that the Lord still abode with them. And uh, may we notice those things that the Lord does in our lives. I mentioned in the introduction that really though it is they constraining him, yet the effect of his word and preaching and speaking to them brought them to desire him. In, in other ways, he constrained them first to constrain him. Something of which in the epistles of John we love him because he, he first loved us. And if any poor sinner is brought to desire the Lord to abide with them or to constrain him, it is that he first has constrained them and drawn them. Our Lord says in John 6 that no man can come unto me except the Father which sent me draw him and I'll raise him up at the last day. May we be able to fill in our own reasons why we'd want the Lord to abide with us and thinking back of in former days when we have been in that position and thinking back also maybe where we have desired it or wished it but have not actually asked for it. So I want to think, secondly, effectual constraining words. Really, if we want something, we're to ask for it. You might say that's a, a simple principle, but our Lord uses it in several parables. He says, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And the emphasis is that there be an asking for the Spirit. Our Lord says, Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He reproves his disciples and says, You will not come unto me that ye might have life. Nasama says that I asked life of him and he gave it me. And it is a principle right through the scriptures that the Lord will be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. And... There are those times that we do not have because we do not ask. 
I remember one such time, very humbling time, when I had three services before me on the Lord's Day. And on the Saturday, I was very seeking a text and couldn't find any text for the services. And I got angry with the Lord and told him in prayer, he'd sent me into the ministry, he knew I'd got three services, and yet he hadn't given me a text. And the Lord just dropped in, thou hast not asked. And it was true. I had gone searching the scriptures, I had gone looking for a text, but hadn't asked for one. I hadn't taken it first to the Lord in prayer. It's a lesson I trust I've never, never forgotten. It was a very humbling occasion where we can leave off the ask and it shall be given you and we just start with the searching and seeking. But it, it must be the asking. And so here, these constraining words, they actually are words telling the Lord exactly what we want, what they wanted. They wanted him to abide with them, abide with us, stay with us, remain with us, lodge here with us. And they put it in these simple, direct words. May it be a reminder to us, if we want something of the Lord, then use simple words, direct words, Tell him exactly what we want him to do for us. These were effectual constraining words. Abide with us. But they didn't stand on their own. They didn't actually say, we have enjoyed your discourse. We'd like to hear more. They could have said other things, but they said it is toward evening and the day is far spent. In one sense, instead of thinking of the blessing for them to hear more, they thought of him. They were going into lodge. They were going to have a night's rest. They were going to have some victuals. This one that had so favoured them with his word was going to go on. Where was he going to lodge? Where was he going to eat? In one sense there is an aspect of hospitality, of care, of concern for this stranger who had so spoken to them that they wanted him to be with them because, and they give the reason, it is toward evening and the day is far spent. I wonder how many of us know those times when we've given hospitality to another and maybe for the same reason, because it is late and it has ended up a time of blessing a time of real hell, time when the Lord has visited us and blessed us. Some 
the holy word says have entertained strangers unawares be not forgetful to entertain strangers for in so doing some have entertained angels unawares a stranger an angel a stranger the lord of life and glory risen from the dead but remember he began as a stranger and then they recognised him who he was their eyes being opened we want to think of this in another way as well it is toward evening the day is far spent we may say that is so this evening as we gather for worship this Thursday evening uh, literally so, the day is far spent, it is toward evening. But we think of it in our lives as well. And we know not how long we have, we do not, not know whether we have many or few days. Our dear age friends, they know that it is in the evening tide of their lives. Their, their life's little day is drawing to a close. And if ever then there is a desire, the, the Lord still abide with us. His word is still precious. That there be further blessing upon the word. It is when it comes to evening time. When the prospect of death, the prospect of eternity is before us then there is an urgency then there is that need for us have the Lord to abide with us when we think of the distress when the Lord hides his face dear Job oh that I knew where I might find him our Lord upon the cross my God my God why hast thou forsaken me and what a difference it is when we have the Lord's presence with us. These effectual words, effectual, that makes this one that seemed to, would have gone further, to abide. I think of those of you similar words. The case of Naomi and Ruth and Naomi tested both Ruth and Orpah that they should go back, not abide with her, but go back to their people and to their gods but Ruth had that strong resolve that she would not leave her, she wanted Naomi to abide with her and she wanted to abide with Naomi. There's two sides to it, isn't there? In the end, it is the two together. And we read there how Ruth clave to Naomi. And it is a great blessing where the people of God are drawn together, being let go. They went unto their own company. And where there are those words that are used so that like in 
Naomi's case, then she she ceased to try and persuade her otherwise. She she let her have that petition. Our Lord encourages in prayer with the parable of the unjust judge. Shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him? I tell you, he shall avenge them speedily. And the parable to the intent that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Prayer in that sense is to be a persuasive thing. And there's another aspect here as well. They didn't want this this time of a blessing, this time when their hearts burn within them to, to end. They constrained him to abide. How many times it may be that we'd be satisfied with what we have and don't press for more. I always think of the most solemn word of Esau when Jacob pressed upon him to take a present and he says, I have enough, my brother. Well, he had enough, enough of this world's goods, but he didn't have the blessings of the eternal God. He didn't have faith. He didn't have the Lord as his God. We think of the multitudes that followed the Lord across to the other side of the sea. He said, "Ye follow me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labour not for the meat that perisheth, but for that which endureth unto eternal life. They were that, that were satisfied with loaves and fishes. They weren't seeking further. They weren't seeking the, the blessings of heaven to know the giver of the gifts. They were setting short. We think of Elijah, wonderful answers to prayer. Answer to one prayer. The Lord gave fire from heaven and the fire consumed the sacrifice, the altar, the stones, the water, the dust in the trench. But did Elijah then stop praying? Was there not more things to pray for? More things to ask for? We read then that he went and asked and seven times, go again seven times, he's asking for rain. The famine of three and a half years is to come to an end. The fire was a token. The Lord had turned their hearts back again, but the the rain still hadn't come. And so the blessing is not left half done. It is fully done. And there's this continuing, continuing as it were to constrain the Lord, ask the Lord, beg the Lord. We think of in salvation. I will speak reverently, but half the work is done at Calvary. As far as redemption is done, it's completely done, it's fully done. But there's another aspect that still must be done, and that is the calling of each individual, one of the Lord's people, those for whom he died. Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And that includes their calling, their 
quickening the new birth, being brought to life and to follow the Lord. And so there are many aspects in the word where you might say there's great things done, but they're only half and there's a following on to the completion of it. And in this account, like we said in verse 35, if the Lord hadn't been constrained, if he hadn't gone in, then the latter part would not have been known. The blessing of the revealed Christ would not have been known. And so may we also, by those things the Lord has done for us, the blessings that we have had, the effect on our hearts and our spirits, give us that desire for him to abide, those words that we specifically ask him to. I've known over years gone by when I felt after maybe many months of a hard heart and then being given a softened heart and melted before the Lord to then take that opportunity to bring many, many petitions that perhaps have been bottled up for a long while, to spread them all before the Lord. When we get a little smile, when we get a sense of his ear, he's listening to us, then we, like Hannah, pour out our soul unto the Lord. And in that, in that constraining, there, there is that further blessing and so I want to uh, exhort really in this way that where we have tasted the Lord is gracious where we are in that position it may be that it is coming even tight in our lives or maybe we feel we're just at the end of our tether and cannot go on that we constrain the Lord we press upon him using words, using arguments, using reasons that he should come to us, that he should abide with us, remain with us. That is all our asking really at this time. But the Lord had other things in store, other purposes. He was constrained, he did come in and then they were to realise what he had in store Many times the Lord's people cannot ask specific things. I've said here there was a specific thing, abide with us. But there's many things that we cannot ask because we do not know what is in store. We do not know the blessings the Lord has uh, planned for us, purpose for us. But we can ask that he abide with his presence with his spirit, with his guiding. That's why it's such a blessing. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. But that is to be personally realised and felt in the soul. We want to then think thirdly of the greater blessing as the Lord tarries with us. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Then we read, not what has gone before, but what is gone after 
this time, this verse, and those immediately around it, uh, they stand in the middle between what happened in the walk up to this dwelling place and then what happened in it. And we read in verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. It is then that they speak one to another again, very different than at first. But did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? Now they knew him. Now they knew who their preacher was, who was speaking to them. And so really... Uh, the means here, the means of in the blessing of the bread, in the breaking of the bread, I feel it points so much to the Lord's Supper, to that chosen by the Lord himself to give to the church of God, to show forth his death till he come, to do in remembrance of him. And whether these two were of the disciples or were in the upper room when he instituted the Lord's Supper, we are not told. But we are told that this is what the Lord chose to do and was the thing done or the means to have their eyes opened and so that they knew him. It is the Lord that opens eyes it is the Lord that also makes our eyes holden so we do not know. It is the Lord that reveals himself to his people as we sung. That desire, Lord, reveal thyself to me. It is he that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. And here was a, a beautiful way that was done in making known of them, making himself known to his people. Has the Lord made himself known to you, to me? Have we seen him through the lattice of his word? Have we been able to say it is the Lord? The thing proceedeth from the Lord. This is his handiwork. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. There are those that have not seen the Lord face to face as these two did, but they have known the Lord has been in their midst and that he's been working and it is his hand. And this blessing was what was added, what was followed in addition to the first, a greater blessing and what an encouragement to us to press for those greater blessings. We think of the prophet that reproved the king of Israel because he would not strike with the arrows more than three times. He says, if thou had struck but five times that thou would have destroyed the Assyrians uh, completely, but now but three times. 
and restraining prayer we cease to fight and large petitions with thee bring and here is the just the desire of the Lord's presence and the Lord takes care of the blessing the Lord takes care of what he will do was it Mary and Martha that took care and ordered the blessing of their brother Lazarus being raised from the dead no the Lord ordered that Uh, The centurion's daughter, was it him that ordered it? Or the crowds that thronged, the woman that pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment and hindered him that made his daughter die? No, the Lord knew what he would do and then he raised her from the dead. And so the Lord is the orderer of the blessings he gives to his people with the Lord's presence, with his spirit, then there is the blessings that accompany it. And so may it be that encouragement to us, where the Lord gives a sip, may we desire those full drafts, may he gives a little softening, may at that time we be urgent in prayer, that he be abide with us and grant us a full blessing. Grant us to truly see himself and all his glory and his beauty. We read later on here, when the Lord visited the disciples, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord, and certainly these two on the way to Emmaus were as well. And may we also know that following on, to know the Lord, following on from providential blessings to spiritual blessings, from tokens to that full realisation of the blessing of the Lord that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it, and that desire that at last that we might see him above. The Lord says that He shall come again and receive his people unto himself. Where he is, there they might be. And you might say here, the blessing that they had was because where they were, the Lord was. Where the Lord was, they were. There's safety. There's blessing where the Lord is found. Well, may the Lord bless the word to us this evening. Amen.